Greetings, Mechanicsville Baptist Church family. It's a joy to be able to bring this word to you on this day, whatever day you choose to listen to this sermon. We're grateful for technology and for the opportunity to share with one another, recognizing that there are all kinds of formats that we can use. I appreciate your good feedback on the column on the Facebook messages, on Dwight's work as he is teaching Sunday school, working with Connect and Encounter and other trainings that he's doing. Uh, we will continue to uh, work to make our uh, ways of uh, communicating even better as we go through this. It seems like we're in for a long haul. Uh, I would like to remind you that there are several ways that you can give. You can give your offering through uh, the mail. You can give it through our e-giving, or you can put it in the box outside of the church office door. Uh, someone is always here at least sometime during each day of the week to uh, gather stuff in and to make sure that everything is going fine in the church and everything is still uh, okay. Uh, I hope this finds you well. Know that we're praying for you as a church family. Know that it matters that we know that you are alone, many of you. And I hope that as we continue through this that we can lean on one another as we lean on the Lord. Our scripture passage this morning is found in Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11 uh, as we think in terms of Palm Sunday. We are at the beginning of Holy Week beginning on Sunday and uh, this is our Palm Sunday uh, time together or would be our Palm Sunday time together as we journey with our Lord to the cross as he begins in Jerusalem on Sunday. So we read the account as recorded in Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread, the clo spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. The last few decades have witnessed a steady succession of public demonstrations for special causes. A nonviolent demonstration in Montgomery, Alabama in the mid-50s began the Civil Rights Movement and started Martin Luther King Jr. on a spectacular career as the movement's leader. There have been sit-ins and exclusive stores and kneel-ins and segregated churches dramatically calling public attention to social and spiritual inequalities. Peace marches have protested war and our participation in war. But we have never been prepared for what we are facing today. This is probably one of the most difficult periods of our history to completely have to shut down what we do on a daily basis. 
Demonstrations are not a new means of expression of public opinion. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on the last week of his earthly life was an emotional demonstration. Jerusalem was crowded with those who had gathered to observe the Passover season. This was the most important feast of the year. The crowds were keyed up with national expectations that God would raise up a king to deliver them from the power of Rome. Shouts of Hosanna filled the air as the crowd acclaimed Jesus as king. The king came riding, not as an earthly king on a white horse, but as the prince of peace on a lowly donkey. So let's take a few moments and look at Jesus during this time and recognize that the triumphal entry was the beginning of the end of his earthly existence in human form. First, we look at Jesus and we marvel at the courage of Jesus. Jesus publicly entered the hostile city. He could have skipped this dramatic entrance and slipped into Jerusalem after dark through the back streets. But his hour of coronation had arrived and he willingly occupied the center of the stage. Every eye was on him, including the envious and vengeful eyes of his enemies. This is a messianic act, more accurately designated a royal entry than a triumphal entry. Jesus deliberately presented himself as king, but not as a worldly political king. He employed no symbol of worldly power. He entered upon a lowly beast of burden, not upon a white horse like a victorious militarist. The second thing that we can marvel at is Jesus' open claim for himself. Jesus ultimately did triumph in Jerusalem through the strange way of the cross. But any likeness to the world's pattern of triumph is avoided. According to John, the arrival of Bethany took place six days before Passover and the entry into Jerusalem the next day. Jesus allowed the multitude to recognize him as God's Messiah. Had he been satisfied to be just another prophet, he would likely have escaped death at the hands of his adversaries, but he could, not, he could not deny himself to be the Lord of all and surely to be the savior of all, he consciously and confidently traveled a road that would lead irrevocably to the cross. We also marvel at Jesus' tears. It is always a moving scene to see a strong man weep, but there come times and experiences when words are powerless and when the only release from an overwhelming sorrow is the flow of tears. At such a time, tears are the good gift of God. It was deep sorrow an active concern which prompted Jesus to plead with and warn his people. Jerusalem was the unrivaled center of the Jewish world. It was there that the destiny of the nation was decided. For all her record of killing the prophets and stoning those sent to her, Jesus went to her offering himself for acceptance or rejection. He stood above the beloved city of Jerusalem and saw its poverty, its materialism, its empty religious forms and practices, and its unbelief. He saw the hate and bitterness of those who plotted his death. He saw the callous rejection of his spiritual claims by the multitude. He saw the impending doom that hung over the city. He saw the people teeming multitudes of people as sheep without a shepherd. And he wept in his overwhelming sorrow as they faced the judgment of God. And I believe that Jesus weeps for us today. We are confronted in a time with something that is frightening to us and causes us a great deal of anxiety and fear. But we must always recognize in, in the midst of all of these things, God is with us in Christ Jesus who is weeping for us even now. 
we marvel at his gracious lowliness. Jesus appeared riding on a donkey. The unsympathetic witnesses were probably amused and perplexed and scornful at this ludicrous demonstration. They were too blind to see that he was teaching them a vital lesson. His kingdom is not of this world. His victory comes not through war, but through peace. Those who would follow him are not the proud, but the humble, not the self-sufficient rich, but the poor in spirit. Why did Jesus choose a donkey, so awkward, so stubborn, and so lowly? If he could not do any better, why didn't he walk? This is the only time the Bible records that Jesus rode. He was to teach us that whatever he touched, he dignified. He was to impress upon us that no matter how despised the object, Christ had use for him, and Christ has use for each of us as well. The royal entry into Jerusalem, his acceptance of the people's acclamation of him as son of David, the cleansing of the temple and the messianic signs in Jerusalem all point up the fact that Jesus is the son of David sent to Israel. Jerusalem's hour of decision has come. Israel must receive or reject her king. No third course is open to her. And the choice is ours even today. We must choose or accept Jesus Christ. You see, God uses all of us. Even in times like this, there is something you can do. You can phone a friend. You can send a card if you have them at your house. You can pray for one another. You can pray for your country. You can listen to the authorities and do what they say. For you see, God uses average, ordinary people. There was not a highly educated man among the original disciples, not one scholar. Not one had wealth or fame, four had been fishermen, one had been a noted tax gatherer. They were men with weaknesses and flaws like the rest of us. Some had a fiery nature. They stumbled and fell. Yet Jesus took these obscure men and through them turned the world upside down. Christ will work with anyone who will give him a consecrated heart. He is not impressed with our pious, our false humility when we say he cannot use me because I'm not clever, I'm not talented, I'm not articulate. He could use a lowly donkey, he can use you. Praise him as you surrender yourself to him. The setting was a cold January morning in a little town in Wisconsin on the southern shore of Lake Superior. It happened to be the Saturday when they had their annual dog sled derby on ice. The whole course was easily visible because of the steep slope of the shore. It was a youngster's meet, and the contenders ranged all the way from large boys with several dogs and big sleds to one little fellow who didn't seem over five with a little sled and one small dog. They took off at the signal, and the little fellow with his one dog was quickly outdistanced. He was hardly in the race. All went well with the rest until about halfway around. The team that was second started to pass the team then in the lead. They came too close, and the dogs got in a fight. And as each team came up, the dogs joined the fight. None seemed to be able to steer clear of it. Soon from our position, about a half mile away, the man said there was just one big black seething mass of kids and sleds and dogs, all but the little fellow with his one that managed it and the only one to finish the race. As we reflect on the many problems and stresses of our times that complicate their solutions, this simple scene from long ago comes vividly to mind. And we can draw the obvious moral. 
no matter how difficult the challenges or how impossible or hopeless the task may seem. If you are reasonably sure of your course, just keep on going. God uses dedicated people. Among the greatest Christian people in history, there are many who had obscure beginnings. John Bunyan was not a polished writer. He was limited in his education. Scholars sneered at his writings, but the response of the multitudes established his allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, as the greatest in the English language. When William Booth founded the Salvation Army, the press ridiculed him. The London Times always put his rank of general in quotes. But he led and inspired an army for Christ that has spread around the world. Dwight L. Moody was an unlettered man. He never went to college. His manner was crude and his grammar was atrocious. Someone said he was the only man he ever heard who could say Mesopotamia in one syllable. English teachers came to hear him in order to condemn his grammar, but they left praising the Christ whom Moody proclaimed. He was the greatest evangelist, evangelistic influence of the 19th century. He gave God everything he had, and God used him far beyond other more talented but less dedicated preachers. A man had the duty to raise a drawbridge to allow the steamers to pass on the river below and to lower it again for trains to cross over on land. One day this man's son visited him, desiring to watch his father at work. Quite curious, as most boys are, he Pecked, or peeked into a trapdoor that was always left open so his father could keep an eye on the great machinery that raised and lowered the bridge. Suddenly, the boy lost his footing and tumbled into the gears. As the father tried to reach down and pull him out, he heard the whistle of an approaching train. He knew the train would be full of people and that it would be impossible to stop the fast-moving train. Therefore, the bridge must be lowered. A terrible dilemma confronted him. If he saved the boy, his son would be crushed in the cogs. Frantically, he tried to free the boy, but to no avail. Finally, the father put his hand to the lever that would start the machinery. He paused, and then with tears, he pulled it. The giant gears began to work, and the bridge clamped down just in time to save the train. The passengers, not knowing what the father had done, were laughing and making merry, yet the bridgekeeper had chosen to save their lives at the cost of his son's. In all of this, there is a parable. The Heavenly Father, too, saw the blessed Savior being nailed to a cross while people laughed and mocked and spit upon him, and yet he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. At Carisbrook Castle in England, a donkey works in a little roundhouse. His job is to go around and around and around in a circle. That is all he does. There is not starting place and no stopping place. Is there any purpose in this endless circle, we ask? Then we observe that he is drawing water from, very deep, from a very deep well in the heart of the castle. He is not walking in circles for nothing. On a hot day, he can give you a cool drink. A spirited horse would not submit himself to such drudgery and monotony. But even the most obscure and humble among us can draw water from the wells of the Spirit of God and give a drink to the thirsty. And certainly people are thirsty today. And we have a responsibility to do all that we can to ensure that they are offered a drink. An impressive recruiting poster during World War II pictured Uncle Sam looking straight at you and pointing his index finger in your faith, face. Beneath were these words, I need you. The poster dramatically expressed urgency 
America was fighting for her life. We may be fighting for our life today as we deal with this virus that is plaguing our nation. But we will pray as God's people that God will deliver us. And out of this, we will see God's truth and God's power once again. Not only do we need Christ, but Christ needs us. He has no hands but our hands to do his deeds of kindness and mercy. He has no feet but our feet to do his errands of world mission. He has no tongue but our tongues to proclaim the good news of his gospel. You may feel that you do not have much to offer. All he asks is the best of what you have. He does not even require success. All he requires is faithfulness. The Lord has need of you. He wants all of you right now and forever. Shall we pray? Eternal God, we bow in your presence on a day that you have given to us, thankful for your mercies and your blessings, grateful for your love shown to us through Jesus Christ and his willingness to, draw, to come into Jerusalem on that day and to recognize that it was the beginning of his earthly existence. We're thankful, Father, that we can serve him, that he is our Savior. We pray, Father, for our church family in this very difficult time. We pray for those, Father, who are fighting this coronavirus. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our country. But we pray, Father, that in the midst of all of this, we might be used of you to show your glory to the world. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.